ahead and grab a seat. Yeah. I'm really excited to be continuing with our Love Peoria series today. Um, for several weeks now, we've been saying we are to love Peoria as ourselves. And so we've been talking about the, the different ways to do that, um, different perspectives that we can take, different ways that we can see the world around us so, so that we can better love those that we do find ourselves around. And we're actually going to be talking a lot about that today is who do we find ourselves around? And then talking about how to see those people, engage with those people. But before we get into that, I want to give a bit of a recap of where we've been so far. And it starts with what we believe to be true that surrounds this entire series. And the very first and foremost thing that we believe here is that our lives can actually be made new here on earth. That there is a way where, although we have been born physically for the first time, that there is somehow, some way, a spiritual way, emotional, a social way, where we can be born again. Where life can actually be reconstructed, where broken areas in our lives can actually be made new. We don't necessarily need to wait until perhaps eternity comes and what we believe about uh, what happens after you die. We, we like to talk about what can happen while we're alive, because we're alive, aren't we? <laughs> so let's talk about what we believe to be true, what can happen in our lives here today, because we're here and we're living and we're breathing and our eyes are open and we're awake for now. Might not happen in 20 minutes, but you know we're awake, right? So it would be good of us to talk about what we believe that God can actually do in our lives. Um, so we believe that our lives can be made new. It's the very first thing that we believe. And, and we believe that someone who would be willing to follow Christ, someone who would be willing to say, you know what, I feel like I have been kind of going in my own direction. Uh, perhaps it's been what I have been a little bit too willing to do or not willing to do at all and everywhere in between, that I need to start shifting my focus in order for me to start entering into perhaps a more fuller life that God can provide for me. So someone who would be interested in having their life made new here on earth would, would need to come to a moment where they would say, you know, I feel like that um, I've been a little bit too much in control of the life that I'm living, haven't really been uh, concerned about others or perhaps another way of thinking, another entity that can really speak into my life, and making a decision to engage with that new way, to say, first and foremost, I'm going to follow this Jesus, who I might not know everything about right now, and, and who I, I might not know every single word that he spoke, and every single word that is in the Bible, things like that, but, but I know that he's real. I know that he welcomes me just as I am. And so I'm going to make a conscious decision to, to follow that. Um, person who makes that decision once and every day is saying, I want to participate in the kingdom of God. This way of life that the church, uh, this way of life that the people who choose to follow Jesus participate in the world around them. We're not concerned and we're not focused on escaping the world and we don't try and, and huddle here so that we can just go back home and hunker down and wait for something. We believe that there's beauty and power in each and every one of us that we're made for very specific and beautiful things to, to be out there in the world and not have to be afraid. That there's actual good that we can do. And that's what this whole series is about. 
is that life around us can change, and it can change through the action of love. The reason we've been talking about love so much is because there was this one time where Jesus was asked, what's like the most important thing to know? (laughs) Uh, The most important thing to do. The way that question was phrased was, what is the greatest commandment? What should we know and what should we do? What's the greatest thing? And, And I'd like to actually show us what Jesus says. He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. So everything that we believe about how life can be made new, how our lives can change, and in addition to that, that we have an opportunity to engage with the people around us to see their lives be made new, it starts and it ends with love God and love others. So that's why we've been talking about this. And we'll talk about it for a few more weeks. Uh, But I want to do a little bit of a recap. The very first week that we started talking about loving Peoria, we talked about how this command, loving your neighbor as yourself, has been around for so long. When Jesus is asked what the greatest commandment is, he is not saying that for the first time. But what he actually does in this story is he goes back thousands of years prior to when God said, hey, this is something that I think you should do. (laughs) So Jesus is not so much telling us a new thing, but he's just reminding us of what life has been about this entire time, loving God, loving ourselves. Second week, we were joined by Pastor Gary from Divergent City Church. Hopefully you're here for that. Um, And he shared about a new church plant that's coming to the south side. But he also talked about how we are the light of the world, that our love in a certain way is actually supposed to shine and that the people around us are actually supposed to notice that. <laughs> so we talked about how we are the light of the world. And, and a lot of what we talked about that week, I just want to remind us all, it's how we believe that our love is the light of the world and that that light changes the atmosphere around us. What we talked about is that in a very, very dark room where there's nothing being spoken over it, where there's just void, that the single flame of a candle, a flashlight, the flashlight on your phone, whatever, makes such a profound difference. And that's who we are. When Jesus says, you are the light of the world, Jesus is saying, there is so much void around us, where there's no narrative being spoken, where there's no positivity or negativity. There's just blah. Hard to explain, right? Because our lives are filled with so much. It's hard to explain what nothing is. But what Pastor Gary showed us is that if we really took some time to look, that we would see that there are these voids in the lives around us where there's not a positive narrative being spoken. There's not a negative narrative. It's just, I'm alive. Get up, go to work, go to bed. Get up, go to work, go to bed. I eat in between. And what Gary challenged us to do was to be the light of the world, which means find the areas where there's not a lot of activity and just bring the love. Just bring the love and shine light. Last week, we stayed with this theme of these abstract concepts, and we talked about how you are the salt of the earth. And what we talked about were three primary things that we believe uh, is to be true physically about salt, but also is true about us being the salt of the world. 
those three things are that we are to bring some flavor to life. That we are called to be happy people, like, like be happy, right? <laughs> and, and we're called to like smile. <laughs> and we're called to say, hey, hope you have a great day. How is your day? And then if things aren't going so well, what did William Barclay say? He said, don't be that wet blanket. <laughs> don't be the shadow that just casts over goodness, but to be people that even in the midst of pain, trial, and sorrow, that we can be a people of hope. That it, what, that's what it means to be the salt of the, the earth, to flavor the world around us. We also believe that being the salt of the earth means that we are to help things grow, that our activity in the world should be purposed in part to help other people make those next steps towards the full life that they're trying to live with Jesus and to help preserve. Yeah, salt's that preservative that we're so bugged by that makes all of the snacks in the stores unhealthy to eat because they got to stay on the shelves for so long. But we kind of take that concept and we say, no, we're here to preserve the earth around us. We're here to be a people of preservation to say, no, I believe that God is at work. I believe that God is making things right and that things are getting better. And so we're here to preserve that narrative as well. And so last week we talked about be an advocate. Be someone who is willing to go up to bat for someone else and say, I'm your fan right now, and I want to see you grow, and I want to see your life get better. What we've been saying every week, and we'll say it this week again, is we hope that this entire series, we learn a lesson that we can take with us beyond this series, is that love becomes something that we do, these acts of love, to where love becomes who we actually are to where we just become love, where there's nothing we can't say or do that isn't love in itself. So we hope that love goes from acts to just who we are as a people. So at this point, we know that God calls us to love our neighbors, right? We've talked about every week. We brought that verse up every week where Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus kept bringing it up because he kept being asked about it, (laughs) right? Um, People kept asking him questions, you know, you know, what is this, what is this life supposed to be about time and time again? That's why he says so often in the scriptures, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, the reason that he kept bringing it up is because he kept getting questioned about it. Who did he keep getting questioned by? Skeptics, antagonists, people who deep down, if they were really to get real with themselves, wished that it wasn't about loving your neighbor as yourself, wished that it was about something that, that I could just do and it's just me and I just need to worry about me and being disciplined enough so that I can do the things that are more important than the other things. So that's why they kept asking Jesus, because there were people who were really hoping that that wasn't what it was all about. Why? Because loving your neighbor can sometimes be like, like messy. And sometimes it hurts. And sometimes it's uncomfortable. And sometimes it costs us. And those are the things that I do want to talk about today, is how loving your neighbor sometimes is a little bit messy. And that it costs us. And to enter into this time together, I want to show you this picture. Um, We're going to bring this up on the screen. Uh, You may or may not recognize this picture. 
You may, uh, if you're a fan of art in any way, uh, recognize the artist that might be behind this. This is Vincent Van Gogh, for all you art buffs out there. And this is a picture of the story in Scripture, the Good Samaritan. Yeah, so if, if you're familiar with the story, what we see here, and we're going to read the story in just a minute, but what we see in this picture is a few things. We're going to bring it up at the end so this can become real for us, but we see someone who's getting loaded up onto a donkey. Uh, we see someone who is loading that person up on a donkey. And you might not be able to see it from where you're at, but there are actually two people in the background that seem to be walking away from this scene. Um, Vincent Van Gogh paints this. I want to get my facts right. Um, he, he paints this in 1890. He, um, he didn't think of this painting. There was a, a Frenchman named Eugène Delacroix. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, um, for my French accent this morning. Uh, painted that in 1849. So that's kind of the story behind this. Um, I want this to set the tone for us. Um, and I'd like to read the story of the Good Samaritan. Not going to be on the screen today. Um, so follow along if you'd like to, or just let this be a story that you can hear. It's really easy to follow along with this story because there's very clear rhythms to it. Uh, if you'd like to follow along, the Bible's by your feet in front of you. We're going to be um, on page 1,615. Our story is in Luke chapter 10. So if you're following along in your own Bible or one of the Bibles in front of you, Luke chapter 10, page 1,615 um, in the Bibles that are on the chairs, um, probably not your own, unless your own is that one now, which is good. So I'd like to read just the story of the Good Samaritan. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. <laughs> this is a great start. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus tells this story that we just saw a picture about. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, which is a, a, a representative of about a day's wage. It's a denomination of money. Um, he took two denarii and, and gave them to the innkeeper. 
Look after him, he said. When I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you might have. Then Jesus asks this question. Which of these three people do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus said, go and do likewise. That's the story. And before we talk about what I'd like to talk about today, which is the story around the story, that's what we're going to be talking about today is is the story around the story. I want to talk about the story itself for just a minute. Um, This is actually a story um, about religious pacifism. That is to say, religious people who could care less. That's what this story is about. A lot of times, and if you grew up in the church, this is a story about how to be compassionate, and it is, because we see a great display of compassion. But what Jesus is really focusing on is the two people who chose to walk by. So this is a story about religious people being not interested with the dirty and the messy and the things that cost us. This is also a story about social labels. There's a reason that Jesus names two of the characters as being a Levite and being a Samaritan. Jesus is saying, here is a man on this side of the tracks, and here is a man on that side of the tracks. And in fact, the person who is on that side of the tracks is actually the hero. It's the Samaritans that were looked down upon. And so Jesus is also approaching social labels. And he's also saying, I know you categorize yourselves. And I know you talk about how, you know, they're from that neighborhood or if they're from that country or they're from that city or they think that way or, or look that way or do those things. Jesus is saying, eh, it's about something else. So that's why I want to talk about the story around the story to figure out what is that other stuff. So we start with the opening question. It's to test Jesus. Y'all, don't test Jesus. <laughs> Verse 25, an expert in the law asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life. That's what starts this whole thing off. Now, experts of the law, once again, story around the story. We're doing some interpretive work this morning. Experts in the law were people who, among many things, were known as being those who literally wore scriptures around their wrists. Okay? Kind of weird thing. But experts of the law were known to be people who had strings tied around their wrists. And from those strings on the other end were these little like leather folders, these portfolios, these boxes. And inside of those boxes were scriptures of the law written down in these boxes. Now they did that so they could continually be known as experts. Because, yeah, you're an expert if you got it, like, dangling from you, right? So, so that's who these experts of the law are. Um, why did he feel like he needed to test him? I think it's because he didn't trust him. I think what we had here was an expert thinking to himself, I think there might be someone else who thinks that they're an expert. And there's not enough room in this town for two experts. Are you with me? Um, and I don't think he trusted Jesus either. 
I think that's why he tested him. I think that's why we test people. It's because we don't trust him, right? Um, and when he asks the question inter- eternal life, he's asking, you know, how do I get eternal life? He's asking, what's the greatest commandment? And we've heard the answer to that before. But I think what the expert of the law does for us in this story is actually provides a bit of a mirror for ourselves. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that we hold the position of the expert of the law all the time. I'm not saying that we continually walk around this life not trusting and we continue walk around wanting to test others and challenge others. But I will say this is that there have been a time before, and if we are honest with ourselves, I hope we can get there, when we read something in the scriptures or we hear someone say something and we think, I wonder what that means. I wonder if that's actually true. I wonder if how I am receiving and interpreting those words is actually how they are to be received and interpreted. Or, and this is the nastier side of the coin, is that we know exactly what it means, but we just don't want to come to terms with that. Yeah, that's the shiny side of the penny, nasty side of the penny, is I know exactly what he's saying. I just don't want to come to terms with it. I think that's where the expert of the law is, and I think, I know I've found myself there before, I think we find ourselves there now and again. But this is a real part of life with Jesus, is because once again, we believe that Jesus working in our lives transforms us. And the nature of being transformed is that we go from something and we're transformed into something else. And what that constitutes is change. In order for Jesus to transform us, that something needs to change. And I I know a lot of people put up these different walls and different barriers when change comes. And that's a part of being human. It's a part of being people who want to be confident in themselves and people who, who feel like they have it right. Now, none of us call us ourselves experts of the law, so I think we're doing okay there. <laughs> but that's where the expert of the law is coming from. And, and friends, this is why we pray the same prayer every single time we leave this place. Grant us your mind. Grant us your eyes so that we don't need to constantly come hitting a wall saying, it says that, I disagree with that. What does that mean? It says that, I disagree with that. What does that mean? We don't need to live that way when we ask, Lord, just let me have your mind so that when I can read and when I can hear, I can just know what you're saying. And that I can have your eyes so that when I'm around in world, I don't need to like ponder a situation or I don't really need to just like analyze and and stand at a distance, but I can just have the eyes to see how you would have me see. That's why we pray that prayer. So Jesus responds to the expert of the law who in some way, shape, or form is representing us now and again in life. And Jesus asks these questions that I just love. I love questions. And Jesus asks this, hey, expert of the law, hey, person who has it literally dangling from your wrists, what does it say? (laughs) Jesus is saying, well, you should know But then he asks this question, and this is the more important question. How do you read it? That is a question right there. And those are two remarkably different questions. 
I, I hope you see that. I hope you see that there is a lot of room for there to be differences between what the words say and what you think the words say. Do you know what I'm saying? Or how you receive them or how you then apply them. This is asking, what does the law say? What, when you read, what do the words say versus what do you think it means? And those are two largely different questions. It's also different when we say, what does it say and what do you think it means? It's also different to say, well, what does it say and how do you live it out? I think, I think Jesus knows that. So the expert in the law replies correctly because the expert in the law knows what is written. He has it dangling from his wrists, literally, and says, love the Lord your God, so on and so forth. And Jesus affirms that answer. He says, do this and you will live. Yeah, you got it, because you know how to read. <laughs> but that's not where it ends. In fact, the expert of the law plays his hand. We see that a lot in conversations that Jesus has with other people. And maybe you see that in a lot of conversations you have with others or conversations that you observe on television or in the newspaper or something, is that you're kind of going back and forth with this dialogue, and then the person actually plays their hand and shows you their cards, where you're able to get a picture into why they're even engaging with you in conversation in the first place. Um, I know teachers deal a lot with this. I, I, know I'm, I know I'm talking to a few, and maybe we were there as students before where, okay, so we need extra credit, right? I'm a student. I need extra credit. And I go up to my teacher, and I say, is there anything you need? <laughs> is, there, is there any way I can help you? Um, is there any extra, maybe any extra coursework I could do? I'm just really interested in learning. No, you're not. Um, I, I'd be really interested in learning more and diving more into what's going on here. Um, no, no. You could do that. No, no. You can do that. Nah. Okay, look, I need extra credit. And now I play my hand at the end there. That's exactly what the expert of the law does in verse 29. Verse 29 says, he did that to justify himself. He played his hand. He asks the question, who is my neighbor, to justify himself. He played his hand. Now, that's the most important question that was asked now and again, is who is my neighbor? This was the question that plagued the Jewish people, and, and I believe it plagues us today as well, because this is the question for humanity. This is the question that people constantly ask when they hear the words, love your neighbor as yourself. I think we've gotten here before. Well, then who's my neighbor? And that's where the expert of the law is. Who are we supposed to show concern to? Who should we be mindful of? Who are we supposed to provide care for? This is what is being asked in that question, who is my neighbor? I know I'm supposed to love my neighbor. Who's my neighbor? In the time of Christ misguided answers to this question led to many different divides, Jews and Gentiles, males and females, people from Jerusalem and people from 
Samaria, and we're learning about that one today. Samaritans were known to be heretics. (laughs) By the very nature of your zip code in the metropolitan area of Jerusalem, you were known to be a heretic by the very nature of your zip code. So the question of who is my neighbor reveals a crossroads for us. It reveals a crossroads moment where we find ourselves in time and time again, the crossroads of knowledge and action. We find ourselves time and time again in positions where we are at a fork in a road, or maybe it's less of a fork in a road and it's a rock in a hard place, where we need to take the knowledge that we have and figure out how that's actually going to translate into an actual action that I take? How does what I know translate into what I do? The crossroads of knowledge and action. So I want to answer a few questions. Who is your neighbor? And we learn that by looking at a little phrase in the story, and the phrase is, as he traveled. We ask the question ourselves, who is my neighbor? And and we find the answer. So allow me to simplify things here. There's a lot more conversation around this, but I also think that it can be pretty simple. Is that your neighbor is the one who is in your path. As you travel, there you find your neighbor. That's what I think. That's what I think we learned from this story. Now, why are we able to say that? Well, there's an actual path. There's an actual road that is traveled. And different people encounter this man on the side of the road, on this path, traveling. Some go around, and and one approaches. I would say that your neighbor is the one who you find in your path. Meaning, we probably don't just have two neighbors And that's if you live next to people. (laughs) You might live out in the country and, well, there's no one around me. So, yeah, so that's why I I feel like we can be confident in saying your neighbor is the one who's near at that moment in time. That answers the question, who is my neighbor? That answers the question, who is your neighbor? I want to answer another question. Who is a neighbor? It's one thing to know who your neighbor is. It's another thing to know how to be a good neighbor. It's another thing to know how to be a loving neighbor because it's not enough just to know. It's great to, because once again, it's, this is the crossroads of knowledge and action. So I hope that when everything's all said and done here today with this story, that we don't leave here simply knowing who our neighbor is. We need to know how to be a neighbor ourselves. And that's what this story is about too. This is the lesson that experts end up learning, and we learn it too, is that it isn't about labels. And I think the expert in the law actually helps us learn that answer. At the very end of the story, when Jesus asks, out of the three people I just talked about, who was the neighbor? The expert in the law learns the lesson. I give him a lot of credit. 
He learns the lesson. He changes his mind. And he doesn't say the Samaritan because he knows the Samaritan's just another label that he's been using for so long. He says the one who had mercy. He brings about a trait, not a label. He brings about a trait that anyone can share and express regardless of their zip code, regardless of the place that they find themselves geographically in life, and regardless of the label that the surrounding world puts on that person. And I give the expert in the law so much credit here. And I think he learns the lesson when Jesus is talking about the Good Samaritan, and I hope we learn it too. Who is a neighbor? It's not about labels. It's about traits. So I say this. Loving our neighbors as ourselves has less to do with who we love and more to do with how we love. Jesus helps us reframe the question. The original question from the expert in the law is, who is my neighbor? Because I need to know who I'm supposed to love. That's our deepest concern as people. Is I know what I'm supposed to do, but around who am I supposed to do it? Around who do I have to do it? Around who do I need to be generous towards? And Jesus tells a really good story that changes the mind of someone who calls themselves an expert of the law. It's not about who. It's more about how. That's the entire point of Jesus' story here, I think, is that labels are no more. And the precedent is set with Jesus Christ himself. Did you know that Jesus loves Canadians. <laughs> Did you know that? Did you know that Jesus, I'm going to, loves Russians? Did you know that Jesus loves North Koreans? Did you know that Jesus loves those who live in Peoria in the 05 zip code, which is that way and down a ways? Did you, know, did, did you know that Jesus loves libertarians? I mean, I mean, like, did you know that? Did you know that he loves Republicans and Democrats? Did you know that he loves people who do vote and don't vote? Did you know that Jesus loves so deeply those who have link cards? and those who are on government welfare. And those who receive our tax dollars, whether we like it or not, did you know that he loves those people? So I'd like to bring the picture back up. You know, the, the, the picture doesn't, doesn't show perfectly uh, what I think the condition was of the guy who was left on the side of the road. The, the scripture tells us that he was beaten half to death, which means a few things. It means the person who's getting loaded up on the horse 
is dead weight covered in blood and dirt. So can I speak to a few people this morning? Can I speak to someone who might most closely resonate with the people who are actually in the background walking away? I want you to know that if this story brings about guilt in your soul, And if in this moment you are thinking about that opportunity and that opportunity and that opportunity and that opportunity that you missed, I want you to know that just like the person that are still passing by, I want you to know you're still journeying. And I want you to know that that you're still going about life. And I would much rather you have a new set of eyes than a sense of guilt. Because the only thing guilt's going to do is freeze you up. And the only thing that guilt is going to do is chip away at you. That's, That's the only thing that guilt does. So to the person who might more closely resonate with the people in the background, saying to yourself, I have just not not really embodied the life that the Samaritan shows in this story. Can I, can I tell you something? You're still journeying. And you're still on a path. So don't be guilty. Don't feel guilt. Um, your fresh eyes will help you. I want to talk to the person who might be here thinking that they are the one um, that is being hoisted on the donkey. The one who is looking at this picture and is like, man, I could, <laughs> I could use some help. Or maybe you'll find yourself there soon. I want you to know that the Samaritan here, that's Jesus picking that person up off the road. I want you to know if you feel like you're the person who needs to get hoisted up on a donkey and taken to a red roof inn for a few nights, I want you to know that Jesus is here ready to pick you up from your forgottenness and bring you to a place where you are known, where you are loved and valued and cared for. And I want you to know that you are also in a church and part of a church family that will never give up on you. We're resilient here. What we believe about having a spirit of resilience is that we believe that God never gives up on us, and so we will not give up on ourselves, our friends, our family, people we don't even know yet. So you're in a place, and you're a part of a church family where we're not going to give up on you. Third and finally, I'd like to speak to the person who most resonates with the Good Samaritan. The one who is either feeling like in this, in this season of life, you are the one who is always, you always just feel like you're hoisting people on the back of a donkey. Or maybe you will be soon. I want you to know something. 
it is hard. And it is uncomfortable. That's hard. That's uncomfortable. And you go down the you go down the path and it physically costs the good Samaritan something. It'll cost you too. But I want you to know that this is what it's all about. I want you to know that while it might not seem like it at all, you are blessed when you are put in a position where you can do that for someone. Because yes, what a wonderful thing to be able to do for someone. What a beautiful service to be able to provide someone else. To be able to do that uncomfortable thing, to be able to do that messy thing, that dirty thing that'll cost you. What a wonderful privilege. It's hard. It's messy. It's dirty. It'll cost you. But this is what it's all about. How are we able to say that? And even more so, how are we able to believe that? Is because it was first done for us. And that's an important thing to, to know. I remember when it was me who was left on the side of the road. And it wasn't physically, and it wasn't like someone actually beat me up in between Jerusalem and Jericho. But man, you know how lonely I've been before? Man. You know how on an island I have felt before. It's about me. It's about you too. I mean, where have you been before? You know how you know how deep a sense of help, helplessness and hopelessness I have felt before. And maybe you have too. You can be honest. And why are we able to be honest? It's because Jesus Himself has picked us up from the side of the road. And loaded us up on a donkey, took us to the Red Roof Inn for a few days, and said, I love you so much, I care about you so much, that you on the side of the road, half dead, isn't the end of your story. But that in this life, you can be made whole and new again. So that's where we pull from, that's where we draw from, is... I did this for you. Do it for someone else. And I'll, and I'll end with this before we respond as a church. I always love to think about the life of the, the guy getting hoisted up on the donkey. I always love to think about the life after he healed up and left the red roof in. Um. Because if you've ever encountered such an incredible, drastic moment of receiving such grace and such love and such freedom, it's a life changer. So what I like to think is that the person who gets hoisted up on the donkey today is the one that's doing the hoisting tomorrow.
Because when your life is changed, then you know what the power of a changed life is, and you want to be the one who is in the trench looking to see another life changed. Because then another life gets changed. And then another life gets changed. 